As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Today on the show, I'm talking with Mel Gordon, one of the founders of Tap Hunter. They provide bars and restaurants with the tools they need to manage their entire beverage program from craft beer, wine, spirits, you name it. And they've built their entire organization around being an inside sales focused team. Let's jump in. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Mel, welcome to the show. Hello. So tell us a little bit about your background and how your company has been so sales focused. Yeah, definitely. So I got my start in sales. I think one of my first jobs was in sales. I was working for a state farm agent, helping him sell supplemental health policies. (laughs) So I feel like I've always been in sales somewhere along the way. 
Um, in early 2000, I worked for um, an inside sales company here in San Diego. We sold websites and, and marketing services to the real estate industry. And that's where a lot of my formal inside sales training comes from. They had an amazing training program there. And uh, once you learn the, the basics and fundamentals and you're disciplined and you become good at it, you don't typically lose it or forget it. Uh, so I've had, you know, 15 plus years of, of sales experience inside sales and uh, outside sales at kind of the enterprise level too. So, so Tap Hunter's grown now to 32 people um, in a very short period of time. And it's been primarily due to your direct sales process. You guys have people getting on the phone and selling all day, every day. When you started the company, did you go into it with the intention that you were going to build a sales-focused company, or did you kind of realize that that's the model that worked best for this kind of industry? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, early on, there were a lot of uh, people who were just you know suspicious that we'd be able to do an inside sales model. We sell into the bar managers, bar owners, and beverage directors who have a huge beverage program to manage. So all alcohol, beer, spirits, cocktails, wine, and specialty beverage. And a lot of people just thought, hey, you're going to have to do this all in person. And building an outside sales team with feet on the street is one of the most expensive ways to acquire a customer. So we tested both um, along the way. And, you know, it's it's a new world. It's a new era. And, um, you know, we were, we were able to build out an inside sales team. We didn't start the company with that initial intention. It was just all about finding product market fit first and then knew that, customer acquisition and whatever channel that was would come second. And it just so happens that our inside sales model is the biggest engine of our company. And is that mainly due to the fact that you're selling to brick and mortar? Um, not necessarily. It's, uh, you know, this is a small business owner. I think the SMB market typically lends itself pretty well to inside sales and a lot of the decision makers um, we're talking to are, you know, somewhat tech savvy. We can get them online and show them an online demonstration. Um, so if they're visual, we don't need to be there in person. We can do this all over the telephone. Now, with that comes a lot of challenges because inside sales and face-to-face -face sales are two entirely different things, right? It's two, two totally different uh, skill sets and tactics. So it, de it definitely doesn't come without its challenges. Can you go a little deeper on what some of those differences are between an inside and outside salesperson? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing with inside sales that a newer sales professional or even founders that haven't done sales before, right? So I help mentor and advise a lot of companies who are just getting started building their inside sales team out. And if they've never done it before because they're tech founders or whatever uh, their path has been, they don't know what to look for. And the biggest thing in inside sales is you're not sitting across that person, right? You have to do this all across the telephone and you have to build rapport with this person and develop a relationship with them all over the phone. And so things like tone of voice and tempo and volume and the terminology and keywords and buzzwords and everything you use become your uh, kind of replacement, so to speak, for body language, right? So if you're selling someone in person, you can um, typically build rapport and mirror them a lot better differently. So it's just different, right? It's, it's not to say one's better um, over the other. It's just different. So you mentioned that 
face-to-face sales, outside sales is one of the most expensive ways you can acquire a customer. Yes. A lot of SaaS companies and tech companies are obviously relying on inside sales. When would it make sense to have an outside salesperson? You know, it really depends. You've seen a lot of models late. I mean, even in the past 10 years with companies like Groupon and Living Social and a lot of those companies had hybrid models and some of them still do. So they'll have a hybrid where the account executive is just calling into a certain market or city and setting up a bunch of appointments and then they'll spend a few days getting there, right? Um, And it also really depends on what your lifetime value and what your, you know, your annual contract value is if you're even able to cash flow this sort of structure. And so there is no perfect answer, but it also relies heavily on, you know, what, what your contract value is um, for, for the customer. And a lot of SaaS companies, you know, are, aren't able to do that. And then if you do have more of an enterprise type sale, then, you know, probably scales outside sales can scale a lot better. Let's go back to the to the fact that you guys have now grown uh, pretty significantly and are predominantly, your team is predominantly inside salespeople of varying experience levels. What do you think makes a great salesperson and what kind of qualities do you see uh, a more junior level person developing that makes you kind of bump them up to the next level and the next level? Absolutely. Yeah. So talking on the senior level or more kind of account executive level, looking for people who are experienced, they've done some sort of inside sales and cold calling before. Um, There's a huge difference, right? There's order takers. And then there's you've literally been responsible for making a couple hundred outbound dials a day. And again, for people who don't have experience in this, they don't know what to look for when hiring their first account executive or SDR or even a sales manager. And so there are just some basic fundamentals that you need to be able to look for to know that you're looking for the right person. So someone can say they've been in inside sales, but if you start digging you can really start to understand and ask questions like how many calls were they responsible for? What were your metrics? How were you measured on success? And get them talking about the numbers that they were held to. So the types of traits, you know, we look for is um, competitive, a lot of grit and discipline to come in day in and day out, right? I mean, I tell our team this all the time and even new hire sales is the hardest job you'll ever have. And the highs are high and the lows are low and there's not a lot of in between. So you really have to look for people that have character around being able to ride the roller coaster on a daily basis. Uh, those that can't, you know, typically uh, they, they don't last long and they fall off. <laughs> right. And, and aside from kind of the, the character uh, and emotional side that you look for, can you go into any specifics on like ability to answer objections or, or even what your, your own tactics are on dealing with objections? Yeah, objections are hard, right? A a newer salesperson has often not uh, come up (laughs) with a lot of objections. Uh, That could be on pricing or competition or honestly, the biggest one is I'm busy right now, call me back, right? I mean, the first objection any salesperson will come across, especially over the phone and on inside sales is um, it's not a good time. And I, you know, when I get on the sales floor and and help some of our sales managers and leaders here, I mean, no one ever has time. It's never a good time. (laughs) So that's objection number one. Okay. So, so so how do you do, say, say that you, you just called me on the phone and, and 
you want to pitch me and I say that that Mel you know, appreciate the call. I like what you guys are doing. It's just not a good time. Yep, absolutely. So the biggest thing is you have about, especially in, on the phone, you're you're catching someone. Uh, most likely, th- they've answered is the person you need to talk to. At least in our case, in a lot of cases, right? If you're calling a bar owner or a real estate agent, a lot of times they're the ones answering the phone, and so you're catching them right in the middle of something, and they're typically answering the phone because it could be an employee or a vendor question or whatever else it is. And you're probably the fifth or tenth sales call they've gotten of the day, right? Um, So you have to be able to pique their interest in literally 15 to 30 seconds. Um, And so piquing their interest, saying who you are, um, where you're calling from, the reason for your call, um, and then gaining permission to continue the call. But a lot of that finesse and art comes with knowing what your value proposition is for your product. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest part. People don't understand how to pick up the phone and actually speak <laughs> words out of their mouth <laughs> that offer value right. to the other person on the other end of the line. And it's, it's hard. Right? This is hard stuff. It sounds simple, but um, it takes a lot of trial and error to be able to nail that entire cycle. Mm-hmm. So are your odds of being able to close a deal much greater if you can have that conversation right then and there versus you know, doing the whole rescheduling thing with them and trying to find another time? Yeah, because you always there's a fine balance. You want to gain permission and and have that respect, right? Because the next level is building rapport. You have to be able to re- build rapport with someone. So if you have truly caught them at an awful time, you also need to be direct enough to schedule a follow up call, right? And yeah, I mean, a lot of people <laughs> are lying and have a BS meter and want to run from you, uh, but that's why things like tone speed of your voice and things like that matter so much because you only have a couple seconds to earn their respect to continue to the call or to get their permission to follow up with them in an hour or two or whatever else it is. And then the next stage is basically qualifying them, right? Identifying what their problems are and that if what you're offering is truly a fit and that's really the next big stage of, of inside sales or any sales process for that matter. So if we're kind of breaking this down into what makes a great pitch, we've got um, addressing addressing their interests, right? Whether it's hitting the problem on the head or getting them to be excited about something they hadn't thought of, you're you're piquing their interest. Yep. You're building a rapport. Then what? Then the second piece is qualifying. So that's where you really go in and start asking open-ended questions around the types of challenges that they're having. And all you're trying to do is um, just problem recognition, right? And and identify any of the challenges they're having. And you're trying to uncover what their hot hot buttons are. We call them hot buttons, right? What what are those things that is going to make their life better? And also are they willing to make a change, right? Would they be willing to make a change? That's a huge one. Most, most salespeople skip right over it. They, what we call spray and pray. Mm-hmm. They get on the phone, they start talking, they pitch the product, never the benefit, and then they just demo. And before you know it, you're, you're presenting price. And then at the, you know, literally I, I, I hear this a lot. And then five or 10 minutes later go by, they've never asked the person on the other end of the phone a question to engage them. And they're like, so how does that sound? Does it sound like something you want to buy? 
<laughs> that, that would be a failing sales pitch, right? <laughs> right? Uh, so once you've uncovered problem and, and you actually have them engaged that they would be willing to make a change, then you would go to the next step. And if you get to that point where they say, you know what, I'm, I'm really happy with where I'm at. Uh, sounds like what you're doing is great. I just don't need it right now. Do you yes. just cut the call? Do you put them on some kind of other follow-up later list? How do you treat those? Yep. Great question. So that is the biggest, one of the biggest nuggets to try to get a salesperson to have an aha moment around. If you can get them in the mindset that it's okay for someone to say, I like it, but I'm not willing to make a change now, you've just saved yourself, the salesperson, 30 minutes, an hour more, right? It's okay. And so then you would just drop them down into not now, schedule follow-up for them into the future, right? Now is just not really a good time. Because um, the last thing you want to do is waste your time in theirs. Right. And that's, that's a huge piece, um, getting, getting salespeople to realize that that is also an okay answer, Right. So what about those situations where you're not getting a yes or a no? Um, you're kind of in this purgatory of maybe and the deal's not closed, um, but you're kind of in this no man's land. What do you do there? You know, then I wouldn't even schedule a presentation. So when you're still qualifying the problem and getting them to, um, you know, you're still making sure that you have a decision maker on the phone and that they would be making willing to make a change that you've qualified that they have a budget mm-hmm. then you wouldn't move to the next step which is typically a presentation or a demo so if you're in that that cycle where they just don't seem that interested then it might be a couple different things it might be that literally your product is just not a fit for them right It might be the salesperson isn't equipped or skilled enough to kind of get through that process, so they need a little bit more help. Um, Or it could be the prospect, right? You just truly have caught them at a bad time, and you should call them back at a a later date. But but even further down the line, say that you've been getting good signals from them all along that they're interested, they have this problem, they're willing to consider you, they've they've given you your time to go through the demo, and now they're just not closing but they won't actually say no. Yeah. It, it, you know, a, this process can make people, the decision maker feel awkward, but if you've done your job right and you've done the demo and you've got them engaged and you're selling on a problem that they have and you've presented price and they've agreed that they're willing to make a change. Um, and then they're just out there in no man's land. I mean, there is going to be a percent of those that just, you got a verbal or yeah, this sounds interesting and they're never truly engaged, right? The idea is that those are very minimal or few and far between. Because if you're doing your job right and you're a great salesperson, the idea is that you don't have a lot of those that after you've done a presentation or a demo are just sitting out there, right? Mm -hmm. After you've done a demo or a presentation and presented price and asked for the order, you should have very clear next steps and timelines on to when that's going to happen. So what's some of the language you can put around closing a sale? Um, You've gotten good signals along the way. You've just finished your demo and pricing and you're kind of waiting for the yes from them. What, What are some of the phrases or uh, things that you might be able to say to to get the the firm yes and move on to actually getting that credit card number. 
Absolutely. So throughout a demo or presentation, typically your your script, well, it becomes more natural over time, right? But if you're a newer salesperson, you have a script and you, you turn it in into more of a conversation. But the presentation for the product is about keeping them engaged on how your product is helping them to solve a problem. So the sorts of questions you're asking are ones that get them saying yes two, three, four, five times throughout a demo, right? This could be a 15, 20, 30 minute demo. And so it sounds something like, hey, Joel, this right here sounds like something that would help you, you know, save a lot of time and your team would be able to get back to, you know, X, Y, and Z. And you kind of mentioned the benefits is that sounds like something that's going to solve your problem, right? And they'll say yes. Right. So, at the, you know, by the, the presentation demo stage, you're pretty, you should be pretty far along in the sales process, right? That's not when the sales process starts. So at that point, you're hoping you have a decision maker on the phone, which is another critical piece. Because if you don't, <laughs> then you're probably wasting your time too. So by well, the end that's, of a presentation, that's tough because a lot of times it is somewhat of a decision maker, and mm-hmm. they're the one that got tasked with kind of vetting your product. But then they have to take it back to the team and basically play a game of telephone, trying yes. to relay everything you just said back to their team, and you're relying on their ability to do that. Yes. That's the, the influencer, the end user. It's pretty common regardless of what industry you're in. And so your job as a salesperson is to arm them with the materials necessary to take back to their team so that they feel comfortable uh, presenting it, you know, how you've seen and discussed over however many days or weeks or whatever else it is. That, that is also, that's advanced selling right there, right? It takes... Mm-hmm a very skilled salesperson to be able to do that, especially when it's all inside sales and you're not going in there and meeting with the two or three or five person team of stakeholders. Right. So when are you done selling? When you close that sale, is that it? Or do you consider some of this ongoing customer communication, customer success, what, what you ever, whatever you choose to call it, is that still considered sales somewhat in your mind? Absolutely. From the time that you take an order, it's not done. So typically it'll go over into an account manager, customer success team, and that team or those people need to be so integrated and understand the sales process that they can just literally jump in and take over from there because that's when things just begin. Now you're talking about someone who needs to be fully engaged in using the product because if they're not, then what, right? They cancel. Then they just churn out. So the onboarding process is still definitely a part of, of the entire sales cycle, 100%. And then ultimately what you want is a properly onboarded customer who's engaged in using the product and then two things. Do you have the opportunity to upsell and upgrade them later? And will they also refer you to others? So you hear a lot things like customer service is not the job of one department, but it's everybody's job. Is that true of sales as well? Definitely. The biggest job of sales is to not overpromise, right? Not to sell. Their biggest job is to not sell product that doesn't exist or overpromise on the product on things that it doesn't do because then they're going to make the customer service team job hell because then they've overpromised and now we're under delivering. Right. And if your team and your culture and everyone's aligned prop- properly, nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants that. So it is a 100% sales job 
um, to be aligned with that from the beginning or else the customer is just going to churn out. How has your sales process changed between, you know, where you were last year and now? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is we definitely instill a, a few core things into our sales team. I mean, we're looking for top performers. We're looking for A team players here. And not everyone who joins the team makes it, right? We're not looking to just add warm, warm bodies um, here. And the bar is rising every month. We'll get someone in here that breaks records and just takes things to the next level. So we've had to take a step back and really define what it means to be a great salesperson and have a great sales career. And one of the biggest things that, that I try to teach the team and other companies that I help is that a sales career is a marathon and it's not a sprint, right? There's no shortcuts. Um, and it is one of the hardest jobs you'll have. And so a few of the things that, that we really try to train our people on is it matters in how you show up every day. What are you doing to plan for the day before? Um, being a lifelong learner, right? There's so many great mediums out now, like podcasts, like we're on now from Amazon and Kindle and Audible and Flipboard and blogs. It's, I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of information you can get your hands on and consume. And so we're really, you know, what's really important for us is to look for lifelong learners and not just the people who come in and wait for, to be trained here, but how are they training themselves on how to be a professional salesperson outside of the office. Right. And, and that's really true for any position. Yeah. Yeah. And then the biggest thing with sales, you know, one of my biggest mantras is fake it till you make it. I mean, you've got to choose a mantra and use it, right? <laughs> and until you're the best salesperson, you got to pretend you are the best, right? Sales is hard. Getting hung up on 10 times a day or being told to never call me again. And I mean, this is, this is rough stuff. And a lot of founders who may have never done sales before don't understand what true rejection is. Just flat out true rejection, right? Um, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And so for our sales organizations and others that I've been a part of and, 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 and help with too, is that's a big, a big piece is making sure that uh, your sales team, your organization, you can uh, coach through uh, those tough times, right? Because like I said, it's a roller coaster. And I think mindset is, is, the, biggest, is the biggest thing that, that uh, comes down to inside sales. Just having that right, that right mindset and, and being consistent to come in day in and day out and do the hard work. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh, not an easy role to play. And I haven't had to have uh, an inside an inside sales job like like what we're talking about, but from the tastes I've had, it is really difficult, and I admire it a lot. Absolutely, it's tough. Even calling inbound leads is is uh, not easy, right? Someone who literally filled out a form and raised their hand to request more information. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even those people hang up on you. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Well, Mel, this is this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. Big thanks to our sponsor today, Pipedrive. Go to pipedrive.com forward slash rocket ship. Get two months free of their brilliant sales CRM. If you haven't yet, follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM. You could follow me at Michael Saka and Joelle at Joelle Goldman. All right, we'll see you back here on Wednesday where we will continue the sales series. We're really excited to bring this to you, so we'll see you Wednesday.